Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Let me call our attention to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We'll go ahead and read the first nine verses. We're probably not going to cover all nine of these. Uh, And to be honest with you, basically we're going to have uh, a lot of a history lesson tonight. I'll try to give you a background of why the book of 1 Corinthians was important then and why it's important now. Uh, So we'll try to try to deal with some of that and uh, get into the message. So uh, let's begin reading in chapter number 1, verse number 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto this fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to be together. Uh, We thank you that we have Uh, this opportunity to gather around your word a second time on this, uh, the Lord's day. Lord, we ask you that you would help us, that we would be able to glean those things that would be pleasing and helpful to us, uh, uh, to you and and helpful to us as we go through this book of 1 Corinthians. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our hearts, our minds, and open our eyes to the Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the first in a series of sermons that we're going to be covering through the first letter to the Corinthians. In fact, uh, I guess we can we can tell you now, go ahead and buckle in because We'll be going from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians, so we're going to be in the 
and the two Corinthians for quite a while. So uh, hopefully we can glean from these books those things that would be pleasing and helpful uh, that would help us in our walk for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the things that we need to understand as far as the book of Corinthians is to understand why Paul wrote the letter. Uh, Understanding some of what was happening, some of what was going on. Uh, Of course, this letter is written to them, but Paul made his trip to Corinth in his second missionary journey. But as we come to this passage of Scripture, we, we find some things that are interesting in these books uh, that tie in almost to the time period even that we live in. There's a lot of similarities that are going on, a lot of things that are happening. And it's even been said that the city of Corinth was the New York or the Las Vegas or the Los Angeles of Paul's day. It was a great metropolis, or it was it was possibly all three of those rolled into one. There was a lot that was happening, a lot that was going on. The parallels between the ancient Greek city of Corinth and even what we would look at in Southern California is a lot the same. There's a striking similarity. Uh, There's things that are so similar similar, uh, that several theologians have seen fit to make the comparison of these two with one another. The church that Paul helped to found in Corinth was largely Gentiles and was made up of new Christians recently converted from paganism. If we understand that, there's we don't have as much problem understanding some of their tendencies to do the things they were doing, some of the things that Paul even had to address in his letter. The new Christians found themselves struggling to learn the Christian doctrines that Paul was giving them, to learn the Christian faith, and to live out that new faith in the culture in which they were living in, the culture they had grown up in, the culture they were part of. Uh, They were finding it difficulty to lay down some things. Uh, this city was a city that was a culture-filled city, uh, but it was rampant with sexual immorality and idolatry. And if you know anything about the book of Corinthians, you know that Paul had to address this more than once. And he had to address it because of the simple fact that These were new Christians that had come out of paganism. Paul did get to spend an extended period of time with them considering what he did in most places. Paul did spend around the uh, 18-month mark. But that's not a great deal of time, to be honest with you. We, uh, 
we spent two and a half years going through the book of Romans. I mean, it's, it's not uh, 18 months, not a great deal of time for Paul to uh, really root them and ground them. And that's one of the reasons that, that, that he writes these epistles, that he writes those back to them. The similarities between Corinth and Paul's day and the cities that I had mentioned, and even uh, maybe if you were to look at Southern California, uh, there's a lot of similarities there. Paul remarks of, of the, the things that we're going to see as we go through this series, some of the remarks that he makes, some of the things that he has to deal with are things that we even deal with today. Uh, the Bible is not just a history book, although there's a lot of history. And for us to under, rightly understand the books that we go through, we need to understand the history. We need to understand the background. We need to understand what's going on. But it's not just a history book. It has application that we can draw from. And part of that application is that uh, man is sinful. Uh, man was sinful in Adam's day. Man was sinful in Abraham's day. Man was sinful in Jesus' day. Man was sinful in Paul's day. And man is truly sinful in our day. Uh, so there are a lot of similarities because we are sinful people. As we began this series and look at the book of 1 Corinthians, this letter, uh, we'll spend a lot of time tonight in the introduction to this letter. And it's I think it's necessary that we understand the background so that we can understand why Paul's having to tackle the issues that he's having to tackle. Uh, a lot of times in the world that we live in, a lot of Christians pride themselves with preaching a great deal from Paul's epistles, but they pick and choose what they preach from in the book of Corinthians because uh, some of the things are difficult. There are things that, uh, that Paul deals with that they don't want to bring up sometimes. First Corinthians is, First Corinthians is often overlooked, uh, though many issues that Paul addresses this epistle is a a vital key part to the to a healthy church for us to understand a healthy church. In fact, many of the issues that prompted Paul to write to the Corinthians, we too are facing in our day. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians is often overlooked because of Paul's discussions of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and other controversial matters like speaking in tongues, and we'll deal with that as we go through the book of 2 Corinthians. But these, these contexts and these texts should not be ignored. In our context that we're going to be looking at, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians is every bit as important as the book of Romans or the book of Ephesians. We've been through the book of Romans. We've been through the book of Ephesians. We know the great truths that are in those books. And there are a great deal of 
things that we need to look at in the book of 1 Corinthians. There's a fascinating discussion of the collision between Christianity and paganism. Specifically how Christians are to deal with idolatry. Once again, a lot of times when we come to these texts, we come to these texts with, with the idea that these texts are a condemnation to us. When what they are is an instruction of things that we are to avoid, things that we are to know how to combat against, things that we are to know how to answer. Um, There are a lot of times in our relationships in the world that people are seeking answers, and we need to have answers to give them. And and some of the issues that Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, give us some of those answers on some of those issues. There's a fascinating discussion about the collision that goes on between Christianity and paganism. There are, there are also a few ethnical issues that is addressed. Christians suing each other in secular court and engaging in sexual immorality. Uh, those things are discussed and gone over in this book. So we're going to deal with those as we come to them. Paul discusses at length the person and the work of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, his work in regeneration and his role in spiritual gifts. Paul deals with that and we'll deal with it as we go through these these two books. Paul describes Christian worship. In this letter, we have a description of the way that the Lord's Supper is to be administrated, as well as a call for proper order in worship. And again, we're going to be dealing with those as we come to those passages of Scripture. Paul uses this letter uh, much to... uh, set those things in order to give them instruction as to what they are to do. He also discusses the doctrine of the church. He talks about the dangers of division. There's division among the believers. In fact, uh, there are those that say, I am of, of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Paul, and I am of Christ. Uh, you and I know that If we were to pick or choose a group, we ought to pick and choose the group that we're of of Christ. Uh, But really, there shouldn't be the division at all. Uh, And what they did is they set those notable people. People had passed through the church at Corinth. Paul had been there. Cephas had been there. Peter had been there. Uh, Apollos had been there. And and they were saying we're we're doing this because we're following this one. We're lifting this one up. Uh, there there is a fallacy to lifting any man up other than Christ. If you're going to lift any man up, lift Christ up. 
and uh, because he's not just man alone, he's God incarnate in the flesh. Paul discusses the church doctrine, the, the dangers of division within the church. 1 Corinthians ends with a most important discussion about the resurrection. It's probably the most important discussion about the resurrection that's found anywhere in the New Testament. So there's much here that is worthwhile and certainly worthy of our time and attention as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians. Since Paul deals with the intellectual collision between Christianity and paganism, a study of this letter will help us prepare to combat against a highly sexualized and pagan environment that we find ourselves in. Uh, you would have to agree that there is a lot going on that we need answers to. And Paul answers those things, and Paul gives us answers to those things. Paul instructs them about their pagan environment that they still find themselves in. When Paul went in and started the church, it didn't change all of the culture. The culture didn't go away. It was still there. That's the reason Paul has to write back to them. But the, and in fact, some of the things that we're going to find out in this book is they're writing to Paul asking some questions and Paul's writing back answering some of those questions. They're asking some of those questions and Paul's answering them. Now, one of those in particular we'll get into when we get into the book in, in chapter number 7. But anyway, Paul is dealing with this, this collision, if you will, this, this head-butting of Christianity and paganism. And it will help us and aid us as we look at these things. It will help us and aid us to deal with uh, the paganism and the ritualism and the, uh, the different things that we find ourselves involved in or not involved in, but surrounded by in the life that we live. If we're going to do that, there's three things that we need to consider First of all, we need to talk about the city of Corinth. We need to understand its history and its background. If we're going to understand why Paul wrote what he wrote, what he was, what he was writing back to them about, then we need to understand what was going on and why it was needed that he write what he wrote. We need to understand the city of Corinth, the history, historical background of the city. Secondly, we need to talk about Paul's connection to the church at Corinth. Paul had a connection to that church. Paul comes to a point and comes to a place, and we're going to deal with this in just a moment. Paul comes to a point and place where when he comes to Corinth, he's... He's in much need of some rest. And he's able to find some of that. He's able to stop 
and stay in Corinth for about 18 months. And he gets uh, some of that risk from having been driven out here and being driven out there. And we're going to look at that here in just a moment. But thirdly, we need to discuss Paul's reasons for composing this letter to, to those whom he knew so well but who were struggling so mightily against the Spirit and the things that were going on in that day. Paul knew these people, and he knew them well, but yet they were still living in a culture in which they were having to struggle. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you and I live in a, in a culture where we have to struggle to live a Christian life? Sure we do. It's not, we, we, don't, we don't walk out these doors and it's not, not all uh, birthday balloons and uh, unicorns and it's not all roses. You, you have battles. We have battles within our family. We have battles with our family. We have battles in the world, we have battles among those that we work with. We have different situations that we deal with. And all of our situations may not be the same, but they stem from the same thing. Many times they stem from the nature of man. So we understand that there needs to be the discussion, as Paul discussed and, and dealt with the reasons for him composing this letter to begin with, with those that were struggling during that time. So if we're going to consider those three things, let's start off by considering the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was a prosperous commercial crossroads. It was a... Corinth was not a quiet little quaint town. Corinth was bustling. Uh, Corinth was a prosperous commercial crossroads that was located in the isthmus of Corinth, a narrow peninsula, if you will. The city stood as a main trading road between two nearby port cities, the port city of Sincerea, which was to the east, and Lechisum, which was to the west. They were located on a, an ocean way or a waterway on both sides. So there was a peninsula there. Given the difficult nature and, and the way that it the way that, that it set geographically, given the nature that it was difficult for ships to sail around the bottom of the peninsula, they would use Corinth as a narrow roadway between the two ports. Corinth had a port on both sides of it. And they would bring things into this port and export them out of this one. They would bring things into this port and they would export them out of this one. But their changing of, of cargo on those ships, if you will, 
were by a road that was cut through Corinth. So everything that basically went through and went between Italy and Asia passed through Corinth. It, it came through there. So if we understand the, the logistics of Corinth, we understand that it, it, it was a, a great port city that, that they would transfer from one, one port to the other. And it would, there was a lot of trade that went on through there. Well, we know that, I mean, even we make the statements even now. If someone has a foul mouth, what do you say? They cuss like a sailor. sailor. I mean, they, they still have that, that persona, if you will. Not to say that all sailors are that way, because they're not. But we still say that. The, the, those that were, were out at sea, and when they came into port, they didn't come into port to say, well, let me go find me a place to lay down at the Super 8 Motel. They came into port to spend the money that they made while they were at sea. They came into port to live it up. They came into port to have all the relations that they weren't able to have while they were out at sea to do all the things that they couldn't do while they were out at sea. So when these ships come in, sure, that cargo goes from one, that innocent cargo goes from one point to another one. But there's a lot of sailors, a lot of, uh, uh, I guess you would call them sailors at that time. There's a lot of them that came in to town and they lived just any old way. They did any old thing. So there was a lot of that there, there was a lot of immorality that took place. Well, if immorality comes into a city, then what are those that are guided by money going to do? They're going to set up things that are going to take those sailors' money. So there's a lot of immorality that's happening in Corinth. There's a lot of sexuality. There's a lot of sensuality. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pagan worship. There's a lot of different gods. There are different things set up to different gods. This is not, this is not by any means a Christian city. Paul goes in and he sets up a church. He starts a church in the town of Corinth. There are those that get saved. There are those that come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they still have to live there. It's a hard place to live. It's a difficult place to live. And given that difficulty, uh, there's no wonder that Paul had to write back several times and answer some of their questions and tell them some of the things that he told them and give them some of the instructions that he gave them. Ships would dock at either port and their cargo would go from the ship on that port to the ship on the other port. Uh, the ancient geographer Starborough pointed out that Corinth st strategically was located and makes 
which makes it the master of two harbors so that the city was dominated virtually all the trade that went between Asia and Italy. By the time Paul came to Corinth, it was probably like the other large commercial seaports of that area. It was filled with merchants. It was filled with slaves. It was filled with laborers. There was trade generated in those towns, and that trade generated great wealth. And what does the Bible tell us the love of money is? The root of all evil. So you've got all of this, you've got all of this bad that's coming into this town, and Paul goes in and sets up a church. Well, let me ask you a question. If Paul goes in and sets up a church, and people's lives are being changed, are the people in Corinth very happy? No. They don't, they don't like the changes that are taking place. They don't like what Paul is saying about the degradation that is happening around there. It generated great wealth, and that wealth came with it a lot of, a lot of sin, a lot of, of, of degradation. The, there was, uh, in fact, Corinth became an ethnical and, and geological melting pot, if you will. Does that sound like any other place that you know of? Uh, Given the content of Paul's two Corinthian letters and the names that are mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles, which dealt with this period, it appears that the vast majority of those in the church at Corinth were Gentiles. They were Gentiles. Most of the names were Latin and Greek, which was indicative of the fact that they were under Roman law. They were being ruled by Rome. Remember at this time, who's ruling the world? Rome is. They've got their finger and their thumb on everything. Corinth is also a place of Isthmus games. That, that, that those games of of the peninsula and the the it, it'd be almost like going to Scotland and watching the Scotland games. They had games that took place and games that happened, and they were games. I, I'm I'm sure they were games such as who could tie this knot or who could tie that ship up or who could who could load this much on or who could. It was those kind of games, but they did have games. And they were very noted games. They were games that were that, that people uh, around the world participated in, if you will. They were held every two years. And even when the city was in ruins, after it was ruined, even when the city was in ruin, the games continued to go on. So they're having these games... It's it it they're they're having this lifestyle, if you will, of 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 degradation, and then they're wrapped up in sports. I won't ask you if that sounds like any place you know of. 
<laughs> but it, I mean, it, th- those were things that Paul was having to deal with. There were things that Paul was having to, uh, to talk to them about and deal with them about. This made Corinth a popular tourist destination. I mean, if people wanted to go to have their anniversary celebration, they went to Corinth. Let's go down to the party city. I mean, have you been to Las Vegas? I mean, have you been to Corinth yet? I mean, that, that, was, that would have been the, the day and time that Paul was living in. As we'll see, what was happening in Corinth did not stay in Corinth. What was happening in Corinth seemed to go back and sprout roots in other places also. As we'll see, like I said, what happened in Corinth didn't stay in Corinth. It was taken back. Much of the city then was destroyed by Rome in 146 B.C. And many of its residents were killed. Those that weren't killed were taken into slavery. Despite the city's strategic importance, the area lay in ruins up until 44 B.C., when Julius Caesar ordered the Roman colony to be built on site. Many of the people living in Corinth when Paul established the church were descendants of former slaves, of former Roman freemen, laborers, retired sailors, those who located to the area because of the thriving economy that was going on. Corinth was filled with upwardly mobile people, which is establishing another parallel between Corinth and America, if you will, or modern America. The city was prosperous. It was self-sufficient. Even after its rebuild, it became prosperous. It became self-sufficient. And it did that very quickly, and it did that because of the trade that was going on. So Paul's dealing with those things. Because it was an ideal place to evangelize both local population as well as those who passed through the area, which were heading west to Italy or east Asia, it was a good place to plant a church. But it was, at the same time, a difficult place to plant a church. In the pre-Roman days, Corinth had a bad reputation for being the center of sexual promiscuity, much like Copenhagen or Amsterdam or Bangkok that we have today. The city was filled with prostitutes. Many associated Many of those prostitutes were associated with temple worship. I didn't say the temple worship. They were associated with temple worship. That's part of the reason when we come to what we deal with in chapter 7 and in those areas, what's being dealt with there, their mentality was that you could be married and yet, you could go to the brothel and it's all right. And everybody looked at it as it being okay. It was just 
customary. That's just something that happened, just something that took place. So we understand the degradation that's happening. Because of the trade guilds that devoted themselves to various gods and goddesses, Corinth was dotted with pagan temples. Statues were devoted to these gods. Even a statue of Athena still dominated the marketplace. The connection between pagan religion and sexual immorality cannot be overlooked. There was a connection between the two in Corinth. And Paul said it can't be overlooked. Whenever paganism dominates, sexual immorality is openly accepted. It always is. You, you take these, these different compounds, if you will, that, that crop up around America. What, what happens in most of those? There is sexual immorality. The, the leader has all kinds of wives of all kinds of ages, and there's all kinds of things that are happening and taking place. That was what was happening when Paul was writing these letters. The connection between pagan religion and sexual immorality cannot be overlooked. Whenever paganism dominates, sexual immorality is openly accepted. This, too, was much like modern America. All of this is to say that those who were converted to Christianity came from a pagan background. I didn't draw all of that picture, and Paul doesn't give us all of that picture and have us to have all of that understanding so that we see just the surroundings. He's telling you, and he's telling us, that those who became Christians, those who professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the background they came from. That's the lifestyle they came from. It was not an easy place to be a Christian. We, we, so many times when we look at the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, if we're not careful, we look at, we, we look at these books with an eye of condemnation upon those that were part of Corinth. Instead of looking at them and saying, man, what you had to deal with, what you had to go through, what you had to wade through to live that Christian life in that time. Then we understand Paul's personal ties to the city. According to Acts chapter number 18, Paul visited Corinth during his second missionary journey. By the time Paul arrived in Corinth, he was badly in need of a break. Paul, was, <laughs> Paul had been through some things prior to his going to Corinth. He had encountered fierce opposition from the Jews in Philippi and again in Thessalonica and in Berea. Paul, had, Paul had, had had to escape for his life. He had had to be taken out. He had, he had gone through fierce things and he comes to Corinth, and when he enters Corinth, he is in great need of a break. Paul also had difficult times in Athens just before he comes here. 
So it's no wonder that early on in his letter he recalls his first arrival in Corinth, that he arrived there in weakness. He was weak. He was, it was, and, and, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number, uh, chapter number 2 and verse number 3. There's a lack of persecution that he experiences in Corinth. So it's, it's easier there. He has, he's not facing persecution at this point. It, they, they haven't caught up to him yet. So uh, he is able to spend some 18 months there. So as we go through this, I want us to consider those things as we look at these first couple of verses and what Paul has to say here. Paul writes to them, and when he writes to them, he said, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. So he's, Paul is where, where you and I in, in our day we sit down to write a letter and we open up the letter with a salutation. And then we have a closing at the end where we sign our name. Well, theirs were kind of topsy-turvy. Paul, when he opens up, he opens up with, this is who I am. He basically is signing his letter. This is who I am. And then he gives a salutation most of the time when he closes the book, when he closes the letter. But Paul is telling them here, he said, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. He's, he's letting them know that he's not just there by happen chance. Paul's not just, <laughs> this, is, this is not Paul as a tourist in Corinth. Paul has come there and he has started the church and as he writes back to them, he is telling them he's an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. He's not just an apostle of Jesus Christ because he decided he wanted to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ appointed by God. God chose him to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he mentions this man that is mentioned also in Acts chapter number 18 who, has, who is traveling with him at this point. So these two, and, and some theologians, several theologians agree that this gentleman that's mentioned in this verse is the one that is actually taking down the letter as Paul is dictating it, if you will. He is, he is writing this letter and he tells them who he's writing to. He's not just writing to Corinth, but who is he writing to? He's writing unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. And who is the, who, who, he's writing to the church, but specifically within the church, who is he writing to? He's writing to those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. He's reminding them even in his, in his opening of this letter, he's reminding them of who they are, is he not? He said, I'm writing to, to those that are sanctified, 
those that are part of the church of God at Corinth, to whom that are to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. He said, called to be saints. Paul just told them that he was called to be what? He was called to be an apostle. He was called to be the one that started the churches. He was, he was called to do those things that he was doing. He said, now I'm writing unto you who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and you're being sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are called to what? To be sanctified, to be saints. You're called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. He's telling them that you're not in this thing alone. These are people that are living in a pagan dominant society. And he's telling them, this is to you that are called to be saints, but I'm not writing to you only. I'm writing to all those, he says here, all that all in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Why would Paul do that? What's one of the things that we just mentioned that he's going to have to deal with? Division. So he's, he's reminding them that we're all in this thing together. It, it isn't a division that we need to consider. It's not after this one and after that one. We're all in the same place. What is that place? We're all in Christ Jesus. And being in Christ Jesus, we are all called to be the same thing. What? Saints. We're called to be saints in Christ Jesus, both theirs and ours. He says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. Knowing what you and I already know about the book of First and Second Corinthians, why didn't Paul just lay them out right here? Why didn't Paul just say, I'm writing this to you to get you straightened back out. Why don't you get back on the right track? Why don't you straighten up your life? Why don't you quit doing this? Why don't you quit doing that? Paul didn't do that. How did he start out his letter? He started out his letter reminding them that they were in Christ Jesus. And then he tells them in verse number 3, he said, Grace be unto you. Grace be unto you and peace. But not just peace. Peace from where? Peace from God. And our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, he said I'm not only telling you to recognize the grace and peace that you have from the Father, but the grace and peace that you have that is in Jesus Christ. We talked about that this morning, did we not? That grace and peace that Christ has that he's offering unto us. He tells them then in verse number four, he said, I thank my God always on your behalf. <laughs> what, <laughs> what would the average person do that knew what... Paul, Paul knows what they, 
they've, they're writing him questions. They're asking him different things. Yeah. And he's writing back to them and he opens up the letter and he says, you're in Christ. And because you're in Christ, here's the grace of God and the peace of God. The peace of God and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he tells them, he said, I thank God. I thank God always on your behalf. For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything ye are enriched by him. In all utterance and in all knowledge. Paul's going to go on down through there and we'll, we'll back up and we'll pick up with some of this next week as we go uh, back through here. But I want us to see the fact that Paul is not lamb-blasting them as he opens up this letter. He recognizes where they are. He recognizes the difficulty of their stand. And in doing so, he is offering them grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling them, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Then he tells them that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. And Paul goes on. He's going to continue on in reminding them of who they are. <laughs> what is the best way to drive somebody away? The best way to drive them away is to start out with, you idiot. You've got to be the dumbest person I ever met in my life. I mean, is that what is that what would draw that person in to recognizing the grace of God? No. What would draw them in is showing them the love of God. Don't start out, and Paul knows that. Paul doesn't start out with all these issues, with all these problems. We know that they're in there, and we know that Paul's going to deal with them. But Paul deals with them after reminding them of who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're going to deal with things in our life, and we're going to deal with things in other people's lives, if we're going to, if we're going to deal with people in this world, that are caught up in sin, then where should we point them? To their sin? Point them to Christ. If they can see Christ, they will see their sin. Their need is not to clean up. Their need is to be regenerated. So our job as a child of God is to point those people to Christ. Because if they genuinely see Christ, they will see themselves as they are. Just as you and I did. We'll see ourselves as we are. And when we see ourselves as we are and we see Him as He is, 
it will make a great change in our life. And that's what Paul's trying to get them to see and trying to get them to understand. Let's pray.